Heavenly Father, we thank you for the songs that we've been able to sing this morning. We thank you for the two that are yet to be sung. Lord, we thank you that these songs reflect the truth of your work in our individual lives and in our life as a church, Lord, as well. We're thankful that it's not about us, but it is about you. And Lord, we ask that you would be lifted up and glorified. Lord, I pray that as the preaching time comes, that the message would be put forth simply and in an understandable way that each one of us could grab a hold of the great truth that is in your word. Lord, we ask that you would be glorified in everything that is said and done this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let the book of 1 John, way in the back of your Bible. And uh, just before we get into the message, just a little update. It was an extremely profitable week at Heartland Baptist Bible College in Oklahoma City. Uh, I preached chapel Tuesday morning. Brother Newberger preached chapel Thursday morning. We were in nine different classes through the week. Uh, just presenting the need for church planning on the East Coast and in the Northeast. And uh, then uh, did the dorm devotions uh, Tuesday night. All the men that were on campus, over 100 of them crowded into the little social chapel they have there at the school. And they just asked questions for almost 45 minutes past curfew. And we enjoyed that time together. And then uh, Thursday night, we had... Uh, a sign-up meeting, an informational meeting about the inner-city missions class. This is something Brother Copes, the executive vice president, and I have been working on for the last 10 years, and we changed the schedule a little bit. It's going to be during spring break. Uh, that's the last week in March into the 1st of April, and uh, I want you to pray. We had 52 students at the meeting, and... Uh, we don't know how many of them will actually show up for the class. We'll know more about that after the uh, home missions conference, the opening of next semester. But I uh, want you to pray because uh, there's a lot of excitement on campus and, uh, and uh, we're just looking for God to work in people's lives. How many of you would like another three or four Brother Newbergers in several years? Uh, I'll tell you what, Heartland is where we're going to get those kind of preachers. And uh, they're trained to believe right. They're trained to preach right. It's just a good school. That's why we support Heartland Baptist Bible College the way we do. And uh, what we need is we need more churches like that. And so uh, it was just a very, very profitable week. I know much didn't get done around here. But uh, as a church, as we get older, sometimes we'll have to sacrifice a few things we're doing so that we can see other things push forward. And uh, so we praise the Lord for that. I want you to turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. And I want us just to read one verse this morning, verse 4. This is a, uh, a verse that's often quoted and, and most often ignored all at the same time. And... Uh, uh, let's just read the text this morning. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he 
that is in the world. Now, John is writing, this is one of what we call the general epistles. It's not addressed to a specific person or a specific church. It's addressed to uh, believers. And he is saying, listen, he, he goes through this book and he's talking about the battle that Christians have with sin. Now, how many of you know what last Monday was? The 11th of November. Okay, that is Veterans Day here in the United States. Uh, if you're old enough to remember, it was first called Armistice Day because that was the day that the uh, hostilities ceased in World War I. And, of course, we know that since then the seeds of World War II were sown at the end of World War I and, and uh, World War II was fought and ended over 60 years ago. And we're still fighting wars. And people say, why can't we just live in peace? Well, if you read your Bible, the history of man's inhumanity to other men is ingrained in human history. And the only protection that has ever been afforded any people group is a strong army to protect them. Because there will always be those who will seek to dominate. Could any of you imagine what the world would be like if Adolf Hitler had been victorious? What the world would be like today if Mao Zedong and his ilk had done, had accomplished what they wanted to do. Or if Saddam Hussein and others, uh, Osama bin Laden and others like that, had accomplished what they wanted to accomplish. I would challenge you, especially if you were not born in this country, to read American history. But the challenge is simply don't read the books you get in the bookstore. Don't read anything that's been published since 1965 unless it's dealing with new history, uh, events that have happened since then. Uh, the reason why I challenge you to do this is because one of the biggest problems we face today is a complete rewrite of American history. How many of you have ever read anything about the Civil War that was fought in the United States? The Civil War was fought between the southern states primarily and the northern states People say, well, the issue was slavery, and, and that was the catalyst. But the real issue was, does a minority have a right? The southern states were a minority to dictate the behavior of the majority, and if the majority rules against them, do they have the right to go and make their own nation? That was the issue of the Civil War. And it was settled unequivocally. 
I just finished reading the memoirs of Ulysses S. Grant. He was the general that won the war for the federal troops, for the Union cause. The first two years of the history of the Civil War was defeat, defeat. They only had one major battle that was a draw. The Battle of Antietam where more men were lost in one day than any day in American history up to the sands of Iwo Jima. It was an amazing thing. There were about just under 200,000 battle deaths in the five years of the Civil War, but the population of the United States was only just over 35 million people. If you work out the figures, that's almost, not quite, but fairly close to about one in every thousand citizens of the United States. And if you take the casualties and all of that, there was hardly a family that did not know pain and suffering because of those war, the war battles that were fought. You see, the tactics of the South was simple. General Lee, with a smaller force, would get to the battlefield first, entrench himself in very strong positions, and then send out wings of his army to confuse and defeat the, uh, to confuse and move the federal line, and then in the midst of the confusion, he would attack and run away before anything could really be accomplished. Well, we got to the Battle of Gettysburg, and forgive the history lesson this morning, but we're going to get to this. It's, it's going to help us, I believe, understand something here. Mr. Lincoln finally found a general that wouldn't run off the battlefield. His name was Meade. He simply stayed. If on the third day of the Battle of Gettysburg, Meade had, would have been able to organize his soldiers and pursue the Confederate army, the, battle, the war would have been over there. But that was not the case to be. Grant took it a step further. Not only would he defeat the enemy on the battlefield, at times when he lost the battle, he would regroup his soldiers and chase and move past the victorious army to fight another battle on the next day. He would move and fight. Because he knew one thing. The only way to win a war is to put superior forces on the field of battle. That's the only way you win. This idea that a small army can win a war is not true. You can win a battle, but you cannot win the war by defense. You have got to defeat the enemy. We often hear of the revolution, how George Washington had such a, a, a little army. But I want to tell you the Battle of Yorktown, we outnumbered the British almost two to one. That's why he surrendered. He was entrapped on a peninsula and could not fight his way out and his ships could not get to him 
to escape. It was only death or surrender. It takes a superior force on the field of battle to win. The reason the southern armies won so many battles is not only were the men of the military fighting, but every woman and child in the entire area was fighting and harassing the Union troops as they would move through hostile territory to the battlefield. Mr. Grant brings all of this out. But finally, he put superior forces on the field and pinned Mr. Lee up in St. Petersburg, Virginia, just outside of Richmond. And in a matter of months, from October until April, the war was over. Now, I want to ask you a question. We are involved in a battle, are we not? How many of you have struggled against temptation this week? Hello? Uh, If you're alive, of course, the phrase that I, I use often, maybe too often, but the only reason you're not struggling against sin is because you're giving in. Temptation is what we face each and every day. But I want to go back to this idea that we see on the battlefield every time a war is fought when an opponent is able to bring to the field a superior force. The battle was won. Sometimes we wonder why we have uh, some of our troops in Afghanistan and Iraq. And many times you read the stories. They're outnumbered 40 to 1. Now that ought not be. And they're able finally to disperse and and to uh, many times extract our few soldiers. But you're not going to win battles fighting four against 400. And there is absolutely no reason why we as Christians have to give in to the world and to the devil. I know churches that are running up the surrender, running up the white flag, saying, we, we can't do the things we used to do We're going to give up on holiness and we're going to give up on clean living. We're going to give up on uh, sacred music that's dedicated only to God. And we're going to go out to the world and we're going to get what they have because that will give us more people. I want to challenge you today. The goal of the church is not just to fill the pews. If that were the goal, then uh, the NBA, NFL, Major League Baseball have got the church all beat to pieces, do they not? Could I challenge you that the bars are full? Now, is, if that is the test, then we're in trouble, are we not? But I want to challenge you, that's not the test. That is not the answer. 
The church is supposed to be the body of Christ, serving Jesus Christ in its local area and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Never once did Jesus say, it's the church's job to straighten out society. Never once did he say, it's the church's job to save souls. Never once did he say, it's the church's job to teach people proper economic culture so that their country can be prosperous. And yet, turn on television and that's all they talk about, isn't it? You know, Jesus never actually said, you go to church so you can feel better about yourself. But last time I checked, I think Mr. Olstein has like 10,000 people show up every Sunday morning there and outside Houston so that they can feel better about themselves. You see, the goal is to serve God. Amen? Is to be obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ. Is to live differently in this world in which we live. You know what? I don't know how an unsaved person would deal with all of the horrors of this terrible storm that hit the Philippines. How would an unsaved person deal with that? Someone might say, well, why did God let that happen? You know what? I can't answer all the questions. But I can tell you that there have been terrible storms on this earth since the day of Noah's flood. And that the simple truth is, I'm supposed to serve God in spite of the storms. Amen? Do you know there have been horrible dictators and evil people controlling and hurting other people since Cain and Abel? Amen? But read the book of Hebrews. It says, Abel... Though he's dead, yet speaks because he was faithful to what God had given him to do. And you and I, I would pray, if you're here today and you are saved, we are looking forward to standing before God and hearing that phrase, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. That is the goal. That is what God has set before us. It is that to which we should be looking and praying and striving not to get acceptance by man, but to have acceptance by God. Could we say amen to that? And John is writing to a people who lived in the Roman Empire in a time when the government was putting Christians to death by the tens of thousands. 
in a time when the population of this world was much smaller than it is today, in a time when if you were saved, chances are you knew someone that died for the name of Jesus Christ. You would be a strange person indeed if you attended church faithfully and loved the Lord and tried to do the things that the Bible said. It would be an unusual person indeed that did not know, at least know someone that had suffered and even died for the cause of Christ. And it's to that group that John is writing. Now I want to go back to our thought here as we talk about history and all of the horrors of the Civil War. It was not until a general put a superior force on the field and kept them there that he was finally able to win battles and wear down the enemy to the point of an unconditional surrender. The Union was preserved and our country became what it is today primarily because of the Civil War. Otherwise, it would have been just small fighting factions and splinters would have come off again and again and again until uh, there would have been nothing left of this country. Now, I want to challenge you to think about something. Let's look at the second half of that verse. Or let's read the whole verse again. It says, Ye are of God, verse 4 of 1 John chapter 4. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Talking about the world. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Now, I don't think I need to argue this morning the greatness of God, do I? I mean, if we have someone here that does not believe that uh, there is a God or questions the fact of God, uh, I'd be happy to talk to you after the service, but that's not what this church is about. I'd like you to think about a few things, if you would. Think about this universe in which we live. Mankind in his 6,000 years of history if, if, and I believe in taking the, the biblical dating process there as literal and true, which gives us about 6,000 years of human history, we've finally been able to land a little probe on the planet of Mars, which is not too far away. When we talk about distances in space, Mars is an apartment building right next door. Actually, it would be more like uh, going from one sink in your kitchen to the other. Uh, I mean, they are just that close together. We talk about distances of light years. And the greatest desire of the NASA engineers and scientists is to somehow prove that maybe there could have been life sometime on the planet Mars. Why? Because it's a mathematical impossibility that life in such a vast universe in which we live could only exist on one planet. Did you get that? 
You see, if evolution is true, then there has to be life out there. We cannot be the only ones. Of course, evolution isn't true. I was talking with a guy one time. He was trying to tell me, and he says, that doesn't make sense. There can't be such a huge universe, and we the only ones. I said, yes. I said, could I, could I give you something to think about this morning or this afternoon, whenever we were talking? He said, what? I said, only God could waste an entire universe to put one planet in the middle with people on it. You know what his answer was? That's not fair. I just love how intellectual the evolutionist becomes when you present him with something he can't answer. You see, I believe that God is great. I believe that he is good. But you know what? When things aren't going the way I want them to go, what is the first thing we do? Is we accuse God of being less than good and less than great. Isn't that true? Hello? If you can't be honest in church, where are you going to be honest, my friend? We have no reason to be defeated because we have a superior military. We have a superior force on the field of battle. Now, history is full of stories of men who had superior forces on the field. But because of circumstances, out-and-out out disobedience of orders, uh, betrayal, treason, all kinds of things, that force was not brought into play into the battle, and because... The force was not applied to the battle. The battle was lost. How many people know where I'm going with this? You know what? Greater, God is greater. There's nothing, no one, no organization that can contend with God. And this is where the false understanding of Calvinism comes in. Since God is great and since God is bigger than anything else, then he must be responsible for everything. We're all just little puppets living the script that God has written. Now, if you're a lawyer, that makes sense. But if you read the words of the Bible, by the way, Calvin was a lawyer. If you read the Bible, we find out that there are times when God, in all of his power and sovereignty, refuses to move. Years ago, somebody asked a question. It was one of them questions that you're not supposed to be able to answer. 
Can God make a rock so big that he can't lift it? And, and people may say, wow, wait a minute. If God can't make a rock so big he can't lift it, then, then he's got limits. And, and if God can't lift it, then, he, then he's limited. It doesn't work. That's a lose-lose proposition. I want to tell you something. God is greater than the foolish reasoning of ignorant men. You say, what's the answer? Oh, it's very simple. God has made many things that he cannot move. The heart of the unrepentant sinner. God refuses to move it. You see, when man puts the question his way, he argues from the weakness of God. When you look at the character and the strength of God, we find that the weakness is not in God, it's in man. God is so great, he will not force you or I to do right, even though it will hurt us. We have people in this room that used to live under communism. You know what communism did? It was an attempt to force everybody to do what was best for society as a whole. That's why communism always fails. Because it believes in a better man than man can possibly be. The Bible tells us that God has made us to be rewarded for the labor that we put forth. God, when he was setting up the nation and the laws that would govern the nation of Israel in the wilderness, he said, the poor you're going to have with you always. Jesus echoed that statement in his own teaching. Because there will be people who will not exercise the diligence that other people will exercise. Even Bill Gates figured that out. His first rule of life, life ain't fair, get used to it. Well, he didn't put the word ain't in there. Life isn't fair, get used to it. That's his first rule. I mean, if he can figure it out, can't somebody else? Amen. But here's the problem. We come to church. We choose to worship God, we say. But when we face the battles of this life, when we face a society that has turned its back on God. I read a part of an article the other day. Is America a heathen land? And uh, the writer of the article said, well, since we, most people believe that since we have churches and, and electricity and all of the modern society, we can't be a heathen land. That's not true. A heathen land is a land that worships something other than God. According to that definition, but let me tell you something. 
just because society has chosen to turn from God into its own devices, does that mean I have to follow them? You see, the battle that's being fought is in the hearts and lives of individuals. Am I going to choose to stand and follow God without a concern about what direction the world is going in? Or am I going to follow the world and pretend I'm following God at the same time? I want to challenge you that God is greater and that will apply sufficient force and energy to the battle to win if we will choose to follow him. But winning is patterning your life after the words of God. Amen? It is living in a way that the world would look at you and call you a Christian or someone who's trying to be like Christ. That's the goal, is to present to the world the power and the presence and the goodness of God. Period. The choice has to be made on an individual basis. But if we're going to surrender who and what we are to the world because it's bigger than God, then what kind of God do we serve, my friend? One of the first questions people ask when they find out a little bit about our family, how in the world do you afford 12 kids? No, we, we don't afford 12 kids. You must have an incredible salary. No, you don't want to know. But you know what? God provides. I'm not worried about it. I am not worried about it. Because there is a greater force on the field than the American economy. Amen? And we're going to keep going forward for the Lord. Now, I hope you're praying about your missions offering. I'm praying about mine. I want it to be more. But you know what? The only way that's going to happen is God's going to have to give me more. But that's what faith promise missions is. It's where you go to God by faith and ask him to give you something so that you can give more to him. By the way, you can't give to faith promise missions if you don't tithe. That's where it starts. You know what? God has been good to our church. We take one offering a week. And unless it's missions conference time or right next to it, we hardly talk about money. We don't have to take a lot of special offerings every time somebody comes in. You know why? Because people give regularly. The money is there to take care of the needs of the church. That's the way it's supposed to be. You know why? Because God is greater. He takes our little bits and does incredible things with it. But there's the next phrase. It says, because greater is he that is in you. Well, let me ask you a question. Is that great creator God in you today? 
How many of you have been here for Thursday nights, our last night discourses? We're going through the words that Jesus spoke to his disciples from the time that he instituted the Lord's Supper in the upper room until the time that he was arrested. And, and as we go through those things, Jesus said, listen, if you could understand what the crucifixion and the resurrection was all about, you'd rejoice. Because I'm going to the Father, and when I go to the Father, I'm sending you another comforter. The Holy Spirit of God who's going to continue the work that I have done in your lives. I'll tell you, so much gets blamed on the Holy Spirit today that it just makes me ill when I think about it. There are people who laugh and claim that it's the Holy Spirit and people who uh, jump up and down and roll down the aisles and claim it's the Holy Spirit and, and people who feel uh, ecstatically happy one day and totally depressed the next and they just claim that it's because the Holy Spirit isn't there. Let me tell you something, that's not the work of the Holy Spirit. None of it is, because that's not how Jesus worked when he was here on earth. You know what Jesus did when he was here on earth? He taught his disciples what was in this book. Amen? Now, most of the New Testament hadn't been written yet. But there was nothing that Jesus said as recorded in the Gospels that contradicts anything that the Apostle Paul or Peter, or any of the other writers of the New Testament taught. It is one Bible. By the way, there's nothing in the book of Revelation that contradicts what's in the book of Genesis. It's one book all the way through. And Jesus opened their understanding of the Scriptures. That's the reason we're in church this morning. Is we want to get a better understanding of what the Bible says. Because there's not a one of us that hasn't faced some temptation this past week that we haven't given into. Because we're sinful by nature. But the problem is, not God. It's us not allowing the greater force to occupy the field of battle. Don't try to fight the devil on your own, my friend. You've got to let God do the fighting or you're going to lose every time. Isn't that true? Jesus said, I'm going to my Father. The Comforter is coming and He is going to live in you. Greater is He that is in you. I think I've told this story several times, but... I remember as a young Bible college student, I was befriended by an older lady. She was actually like a second mother to me in Bible college. Uh, some of you remember when we had Dr. and Mrs. Wilson come in 2000. And Dr. Wilson is now with the Lord and Mrs. Wilson is preparing to go home. She's 96, I think, and in a nursing home in Springfield, Missouri. But I never will forget Somehow she was taking me somewhere, I think over to her house for dinner or something, and uh, she began moving things around in the front seat of her car. And I said, Mrs. Wilson, what are you doing? She says, I never go anywhere where I don't make room for Jesus to sit beside me. I said, wow. You know, that was somebody who was conscious 
of the fact that greater is he that is in you. And how many times do we get ourselves in trouble because we forget he is in us. I've had people say, Pastor, I got a problem with smoking. I just can't quit. I said, would you want to imagine blowing smoke in the face of the Holy Spirit every time you breathe in? I couldn't do that. I said, you are. Greater is he that is in you. Do you think that would help you quit? I think it would. The problem is we don't think about it. How many battles have been lost by superior forces on the battlefield because they just didn't fight? That's sick, isn't it? But it happens. It happens in history and it happens in the life of every believer because we forget that the Holy Spirit is operating in our lives through the work of Jesus Christ. That's what being saved is all about. That is the mystery of godliness, how the Holy Spirit of God would indwell us permanently in spite of what we do. Read in the Old Testament, David prayed, Take not thy spirit from me. Why did David pray that prayer? Because God had done it to King Saul. 38 of the 40 years he was king. He did so without the aid of the Holy Spirit of God. That's a terrible truth. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I don't want to take a lot of time on this, but we get so wrapped up with he that is in the world. You turn on Christian radio today or you read some of these guys that go around and we want to reclaim America to its Christian roots and it's just so bad today and it's never been so bad. I, I challenge you, read American history. Uh, it's always been bad. There have always been a majority of people in this nation who did not believe in God and did not live for God. Thomas Jefferson cut his Bible to ribbons because he would take passages that he didn't like and he said, that ah, doesn't belong in the Bible and cut it out. Happened. But could I challenge you? Thomas Jefferson practiced more Bible than many who call themselves independent fundamental Baptist preachers today because he refused to surrender to the world in which he lived. Read the history. When the Barbary pilot, pirates would hijack American ships and sell the uh, passengers and the crew members as slaves in, in uh, North Africa. Yes, this was happening. He sent over the Marines. He sent over the Navy. The other governments of the world, Britain included, were paying ransom to these sultans for the return of their, and we sent over the military. Thomas Jefferson did. And after a few cannonballs came through the roof, 
of this palace of the sultan's palace, he decided that maybe it wasn't the smartest thing in the world to bother the Americans anymore. Now, I've simplified the story, but that's basically what happened. What I'm saying is a man who refused to believe the Bible actually practiced more Bible than a lot of Christians do today. We have a superior force. God is willing to engage the forces that are in this world that will keep you from living the way that God wants you to live. Now, do we need to spend a whole lot of time on how God wants us to live? I mean, does God want you walking down with curse words blaring out your headset? I mean, when I was a kid, somebody cussed at you. Okay, let's settle this thing. Now, you don't do that. That's not the answer. But I don't know anything more stupid, and that's the only word I know, I'm sorry, than paying money to have some idiot call you every dirty, filthy name in the book and talk about other people that way. But I hear it going down the street. I wouldn't call anybody those names, but I see people driving down the street listening to those names come out of their car. You blank, blank, you blank, blank, this and blank. Oh, but pastor, don't you understand that's music? No, it's not music. It's stupid. It's ignorant. It's like what I read in the Blue Jacket manual from World War II. An officer was walking an upper deck and he heard two sailors. One was cursing the other. He said, I immediately put both men on report for discipline. The one because he cursed his fellow sailor. The other because he didn't object. Amen? How many, did you get that? You see, there used to be this thing called character. You didn't let people call you names like that without objecting. Because you respected who God made you. Not because you esteemed yourself. There's a difference. You see, the devil only has the power that we give him. We are facing a defeated foe. Now, why would we surrender to the loser? I want to challenge you to pray. You see, God still believes in holy living in this day and time. Amen? God still believes in personal purity. God still believes that He ought to be foremost in our thoughts and in our hearts. God still believes in His church. It's the only answer for planet Earth. That's why we're seeing another church started in Brooklyn. Is it going to be easy? How many of you have been over there? Tell you what, it's not going to be easy. And you know what? We're painting a big target on ourselves for trying to help him start it. Amen?
Expect some struggles, but I want you to understand something. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And I'd rather die being faithful to God than to live a thousand years with all the riches of this world being unfaithful to him who died for me. You see, we live in a country has an incredible history of winning wars. And of losing wars. Why? Because we refused to put a superior force on the field of battle. We refuse to engage that force and to use it to win the war. No believer in Jesus Christ has an excuse to live a defeated life. Because greater is he that is in you if you're saved than he that is in the world. You know what? It's time. Step up to the plate, my friend. If you're here today and you're not saved, I challenge you. Today is the day of salvation. Would you surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ? Say, I'm not sure I could live the way you're talking about. Uh, I am sure that you can't. The Bible says you can't. The Bible says the only way you can live for the Lord is to give your life to Him and let Him live it for you. Amen? If you're saved... You need to be baptized and serve God through his church. By the way, I have one I recommend if you live in Astoria. I always like to say that. You can serve God here, but you've got to serve him his way. Number one, you've got to be saved. Number two, you've got to be scripturally baptized. And, you know, this seems so silly to say it, but you have to say it today. You have to want to live your life the Bible way. I've had people say, but Pastor, I'm willing to get baptized, but I don't want to be a member of church and don't want to take any responsibility. I said, well, wait a minute. That's not the way it works, my friend. We don't baptize people who aren't willing to serve the Lord in the church because that's what baptism is. If you got saved the Bible way, you ought to want to live for the Lord. That was pretty bad. But isn't that what the Bible teaches, amen? And we struggle and we fail in this life. You know, church is a place where we struggle together to serve the Lord. How many of you are struggling? Instead of surrendering. To the loser. Let's not surrender to the loser. Amen? Let's live for Jesus. Because that's what we're supposed to do. Let's give to missions because that's what we're supposed to do. Amen? Let's pray that we have the best inner city missions class from Heartland that we've ever had this spring. I want you to start praying about that now. That God will call some young men to dedicate their lives to start churches because 
This is the place where all the rotten stuff comes from for the whole country. Isn't that true? Well, what do you think would happen if we got 50 more churches started in New York City? You say, do you, well, it took us 20 years to get the first one going. But you know something? The church isn't me. We're training the next pastor already. We're going to see what God's going to do when we're all dead and gone. If Jesus hasn't come back, there will still be a church here doing exactly the same thing we're doing. Why? Because there is a superior force that is willing to engage on the field of battle that has already won the ultimate victory because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And all God's people say, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. And Lord, I ask that each one of us would take a moment and look at our own lives. Lord, the list of victories versus defeats as we talk about standing in obedience to your word. Lord, if we're honest, there's a whole lot more losses than there are victories. Lord, I would ask that you would make us mindful that we as little children have already overcome because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And Lord, that we would be mindful to step behind the cross when temptation comes our way. That when the world just looks so powerful and so strong that we would remember the empty tomb. Lord, I pray for those that are here today that are not saved. That they would just be honest with themselves and with you. And even today, would surrender their souls to you. Lord, I pray for those that are saved and are just not being obedient. Whether it be baptism, whether it be serving God in the church, whether it be some personal sin that they just refuse to deal with. Lord, I pray that you would give each one of us a broken heart for surrendering to the loser instead of embracing the victor. Lord, help us to walk with you in these last days. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.